0: I hey, want you to come
1: with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter five. I want to read um, a pretty famous encounter that it's really the first encounter that Jesus has with Peter, the apostle, Saint Peter. And I um, want to preach a. I was kind of second guessing myself. Honestly, this is like this is like a kindergarten message, okay? But then I like the fundamentals some of, that's what makes an elite athlete elite is that they've mastered the fundamentals. And so I kept second guessing myself, but I just felt the Holy Spirit say like, this is it. And the title of this message is The Other Side of Yes. The Other Side of Yes. We're gonna read Luke chapter five, verses one through 11. It's gonna be on the screen behind me. But if you have your Bible, which you should, you can read it out of there. And if you don't have a Bible, find a Christian that has one and you can look over their shoulder. Luke chapter five, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret is, that's the Sea of Galilee. It has two different names, and if you're curious, Gennesaret actually means harp because the Sea of Galilee, if you look on a map, is shaped like a harp. And so that's what it means. So stood by the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Nazareth and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Okay, so I want to pay attention to the details of this story. So Jesus is up against his back is to the lake. He's got a big crowd of people around him and he's preaching and it's more and more people are coming in and he's having to shout more and more. And then he sees two boats that have kind of been beached up on the lake. on The, the, the Sea of Galilee is actually not a sea like an ocean. It's actually a, a big freshwater lake. And so he sees these two boats and the boats are empty. There's nobody in the boats. Okay. The fishermen, which is Peter, James, and John, they're off somewhere else cleaning their nets after they've been fishing all night long and caught nothing, which we'll read later. All right. So, He got in, uh, verse 3, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who will later be called Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, 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 for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net." net. Interesting. Verse 6, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners and the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish what they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. What a story. So that's the very first interaction that Jesus has with St. Peter, the Apostle Peter, who was just Fisherman Peter, okay? Don't think of Peter as the first pope, you know, the, the guy that has the keys to the kingdom, the guy that was filled with the Holy Spirit and did all these miracles. Like, at this point, do you guys remember the show, The Deadliest Catch on Discovery Channel? Like, think of Peter like that, okay? He was a dirty, grungy fisherman with crab meat in his beard, probably had a big dip of chewing tobacco in his mouth. Like, that's where Peter started, okay? So he has this interaction with Jesus and is is presented really with a question, an opportunity to cast out, to push out into the deep. And Peter makes the very brave, courageous decision to say yes. And I wanna look at um, what all went into that yes. And what does yes look like for you, for us as a church in every single area? So I wanna look at, and I have three points. If I ever preach a message that doesn't have three points, I'll I'll get confused, I'll be disoriented and it's just how it works, okay? So three points, point number one, a yes won't always make sense. A yes won't always make sense. So again, I like to, when I read stories like this, I love to really dive into the details and think about all the little nuances of the story. So jump back into verse four, Luke five, verse four. And it says, when Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now you gotta understand, Peter is a professional fisher man. Like, that's what he does for a living, his job. And this dude comes up who makes tables, okay, like woodworks. And he's telling Peter how to do his job. And so Peter is, I mean, it's crazy. It would be like me going to farmer Rudy saying, you know, Rudy, if you pull your tomato plants out of the dirt and you spray them with hairspray and wave them around and replant them, then you're gonna yield a hundredfold. And Rudy would be like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm a farmer, you're not. That's what's happening here. So Jesus says to Peter, hey, push out into the deep and let down your net for catch. Like people that fish, and I don't, so don't, I'm not an authoritative fisherman at all, but Tyler Matthews is, and he's told me a lot of things. Fishermen know where the fish are. Like that's their job, to know where the fish are. And Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna tell you where the fish are. Go out into the deep and let down your net. And Peter's like, bro, you make tables for a living. You don't know what you're talking about. This doesn't make sense. But there must have been, when we read the story, there must have been something about Jesus. There must have been something in the authority of his teaching. There must have been some... Something captivating about being in his presence where Peter, against every inclination, every sense of of, of professional knowledge that he says that he has says, I'm telling you, there's no fish out there. But nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. There must have been something, even though everything in him said, This makes no sense. Like I, I know how this works, and it doesn't work that way. But there's something about you, something Everything in me says, I shouldn't trust you, but there's just this one little irritant in me that says, maybe I should. And that's um, my story here at this church. I remember for years and years, and again, you guys have heard our story many, many times, but we you know, didn't didn't come here with ambitions of being pastors. We we just showed up at the church because we needed a church and our life was a mess. And we started serving. Our life began to be put back together. We got healed in so many different ways and areas of our life that had been dysfunctional for years began to all of a sudden work out of nowhere. And then we started to, you know, serve and step into leadership a little bit. And, and I, I remember um, it was always like I kept, um, I kept, God at at arm's length, almost. And it was like, look, I'm here, I'm serving, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm tithing, I'm doing the things, but it's like, I'm also, like, at the end of the day, this isn't my church, not my responsibility, and I always just kind of, but then I remember this, And it wasn't like, you know, some audible voice from God or anything like that, but it was just this kind of nagging impression on my spirit, just over and over, and it wouldn't go away, and just God saying, hey, come on, like, why why are you giving me this stiff arm? Will you actually push out into the deep with me? And I remember a moment where it was like, It was was the point of no return. It was like you have to make a decision. Are you going to give your life to this, to the building of the church? And not Awaken Church. I mean, I love Awaken Church. It's the church I'm called to. I think it's the greatest church in the world. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being called to build an organization. I'm I'm talking about being called to build the kingdom, the big C church, the church. And I remember just a moment where it was like I had to actually – surrender my life to it, give all of myself to it, inconvenience myself for it, to, to lay down dreams and ambitions that I had that at the time in my, in my, you know, lack of understanding and the way things worked in the kingdom, I thought I was gonna have to give up all of my dreams and things that I wanted to do. And it was, you know, like I, I grew up thinking like if you actually decided to say yes, God would like send you to Madagascar and you'd be a missionary. And then it just sent me in this wild You know, world of guilt because I was like, I don't want to go to Madagascar. And then I felt really guilty and I'm like, well, you're a jerk. Why don't you want to go to Madagascar? What's wrong with people in Madagascar? Do you not love people in Madagascar? And so, but then really in my heart, I didn't want to go to Madagascar. And so I just, I was just always thought that if you, if you said yes to God, it meant your life was going to be miserable, but at least you were doing, you know, the good work. But I remember a moment where God, just like he did to Peter, had called me out into the deep and said, will you give your life to building. The church, and I think for so many of us, I think actually for all of us, if you choose to listen, God is calling you out into the deep, and it's and it may not be you know, to be a pastor, to be a whatever. Maybe he's calling you out into the deep in the marketplace. Maybe he's calling you out into the deep, into the unknown, uncharted waters of being a good father after generations and generations and generations of terrible fathers. Maybe he's calling you out into the deep to break the cycle of addiction that has plagued your family for generations. Maybe he's calling you out into the deep to actually begin to share your faith, to dive into his word. I don't know what it is for you, but every single one of us, he is calling you out into the deep and what is on the other side of your yes. And I love it because Jesus says, launch out into the deep. And so a lot of times, again, we read these stories and like, you know, the, the Bible was written a long time ago, if you didn't know that, okay? And it's not like the, the way that... Um, you know, narrative literature works now, it wasn't, that's not the way that literature was written back then, okay? Like, now you read a John Grisham novel, and like, if if John Grisham wrote this story, it would be like, and then Peter's oar plunged into the tepid waters, and as the tepid waters began to ripple along the lake, shaped like a harp, his breath quickened, and you know, whatever. And like, that's just not how, stories were told back then. And this is not like narrative fiction. This is reported. This is like what happened, okay? And so we don't, We it, the details are, it's easy to just kind of gloss over. And we, we read the story and it's, and it's like one sentence. It's like, let out your, or you know, push out into the deep and let out your net for a catch. And we think Peter's like, okay. But it wasn't like that. The Sea of Galilee is a big, 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 big lake. So imagine Jesus says, hey, thank you for letting me preach from your boat. I appreciate it. Now, will you push out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch? So Peter says, you know, okay, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. And it wasn't like he just cast down his net. He had to go out into the deep. And I know, because I'm a sailor, that winds don't blow in the morning, and this was in the morning, because he said, we've been toiling all night and we caught nothing. This was in the morning, which meant there would have been probably no wind. So they're not hoisting the sails, they're rowing. So they would have been like, I just imagine like, what you know, Jesus Jesus knows what's gonna happen. He's like, this is about to be awesome. I'm about to blow y'all's mind. So he's just like happy, maybe singing songs. I don't know what maybe, like, would Jesus ever sing a worship song? It'd be like, I exalt me. Anyway, Jesus is just, who knows, singing, having a good old time, and Peter's just like. And how long did this take? What was going through Peter's mind after he had made this decision to say yes, nevertheless, at your word, but then it didn't happen right away. There was a a long stint of time of just rowing out to the deep. He had made the decision like, okay, I'm all in, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna trust you. And then he had to wait and row his way out to the deep. And what was going through Peter's mind at this moment? How many of us have gotten a word from God, a promise from God that's like, you know, maybe it's maybe it's for a baby, maybe it's that that healing is going to is going to happen in your body, maybe it's that an addiction is going to break, maybe it's that you're going to step into, you know, financial blessing. Whatever it is, and you're like, "Awesome. Yes." And then you're just rowing wow. on your way out to the deep. And I love it because Peter finished the journey. They could have been rowing halfway and Peter finally just said, hey, I'm telling you, listen, Jesus, you make tables, I catch fish. You don't know what you're talking about, I'm turning around. He actually made it out there and let down his net for a catch. Can you believe God in the in-between when you're rowing out to the promise? And I love it, this is just, to me, a beautiful picture of how gracious God is because Again, you pay attention to the details in the story. At the very beginning of the story, it says Jesus is preaching and he sees the two empty boats. And it very specifically says that Peter, James, and John are out of the boat washing their nets. So they have nets, they have more than one net. Then Jesus says, I want you to launch out of the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Bring all your nets. And Peter says, Hey, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. I'll let down my net. So Peter's like, bro, you're crazy. I'm into this, kind of, but I'm only bringing one net because this is a waste of my time. He had nets. We know it from the story. They're washing their nets, plural. Jesus says, let down your nets, plural. And Peter's like, I'm taking one net. But still, with just that one net, Peter didn't have all the faith. Peter didn't have nets faith. He didn't have, he wasn't like, he was just like, you bet, I'm your man, I'm, you're gonna build your church on me, I'm the rock, baby. He was like, look, I don't know about this, but I'll take a net and, and I just, I think it's so beautiful because it wasn't like Jesus was like, okay, you're gonna take one net and then you're getting half the miracle. It says that the net was filled so much that they filled both of the boats. Not just Peter's boat. Peter has to hail to his partners, James and John. He's like, hey, get over here. They bring their boat, and both boats are filled to capacity, to their sinking. So God didn't let Peter's lack of faith prevent the maximum expression of the miracle. So I wanna just encourage you, like God, God is not after massive amounts of faith, where every challenge he, you know, a, a word comes to you and you just have not one single doubt and you just charge head, head strong into the fray and you're like, I'm your man, I'll do it. Like, part of faith is doing things scared. That's what courage is by definition. Courage is a, a contingent word, it's contingent on the, the presence of danger. You can't be courageous if there is no danger, if there's no risk. There is no courage. When Zeke was like, you know, two years old and a little toddler and learning to talk, he would do this thing where he'd be like, Dad, watch this. And he, and he would literally, he would go, was I so brave? And I, I mean, you know, I'm a good father, so I didn't crush his spirits. But I'm, so I said, yeah, but in my heart, I'm like, no. No, that was not brave, okay? Because there was no danger there at all. You jumped two and a half inches, that was all. You can't be brave. You can't be courageous without some level of personal risk. And I love that, that God didn't, it wasn't punitive. He didn't punish Peter for not having like the full expression of faith. Like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I believe you. I'm taking all my nets. I know it's going to happen. But still, in spite of Peter being kind of halfway in, God filled both of the boats with all the fish that they could manage. And I want to just encourage some of you in here today, if you're in here and, Just, you know, God is calling you out into the deep and you're afraid to say yes. And maybe you're, you're, you know, going along reluctantly. Don't beat yourself up. Like God is looking for faith like a mustard seed. And if you have faith like a mustard seed, Jesus says, you can say to this mountain, hey, be cast into the sea and it will be done. And I love the graciousness of God in this story. And for, um, for Katie and I right now, we're, we're rowing. And it feels like this, you know, launch out into the deep, God said. Come to Coronado, he said. Start a campus here, he said. It'll be fun, he said. <laughs> and we're like, awesome. And then uh, yesterday, um, like literally the Coronado newspaper that goes to every single home in all of Coronado has Mike and Katie Yeager plastered on the front. And... Thank you for the one person clapping. Uh, I wish I could tell you that it was a favorable article. Um, And it just was like, I mean, you know, Katie and I were like, we didn't didn't ask for this. We didn't know this is what it was going to be. We thought, this will be great. We live here. We'll just start a quaint little campus. It'll be, you know, we'll have it on the beach and people will come from all over. It'll be so easy. And it has not been easy. And we are rowing right now, in between, on the way to what we believe is a promise from God for a life-giving, spirit-filled church in Coronado. But we're rowing right now, but you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm determined, I'm gonna be like Peter. I'm not, even though it doesn't make sense, even though my yes doesn't make sense and what I see before me right now, even though we've faced unbelievable opposition, it doesn't matter to me, I'm gonna keep rowing because I've seen God do it before and I know he's gonna do it again. And what is your yes? What is your yes? Where are you rowing in your life? Point number one, a yes won't always make sense. Point number two, no one's gonna like this one. A yes is inconvenient. A yes is inconvenient. me. I, you know, I've read this story a uh, hundred times. And I, when I was reading it again, it was like something jumped out at me that I'd never really seen before. And again, pay attention to the details of the story. So Jesus says, hey, thank you for letting me use your boat. I'm gonna reward you. Can you push out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch? Peter says, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Okay? Again, means it would be the morning. They've been working all night. They just got into shore. Remember, they're washing their nets. So it's the end of the workday, like 12-hour workday, caught nothing. Peter's going to have to go home, and Mrs. Peter is going to be like, what's for dinner? And he's going to be like, nothing. I've caught, it's just, you know, Peter's going to have to go home, tell Mrs. Peter that there's just, it was not a good day. Sorry, you can't go to, to you know, Palestine Target right now because the funds are just not there. So it's not gonna be like, Peter's not just like living his best life at the moment, okay? So he's back washing his nets with his business partners like, man, that day sucked. And then Jesus says, let down your nets for a catch. Push out into the deep. When was the last time you pulled an all-nighter? Okay? I did it like, you know, a few times in college and like, it wrecks me. If I, if I get, like, three hours of sleep, like, I'm destroyed, okay? Like, and Peter and his business partners have worked all night. All night, they are whooped. And then Jesus says, I've got a surprise for you. Launch out of the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. How miserable must they have been? Like, Peter's just like, Like they would have been exhausted. And I love that the call from God didn't come when Peter was well rested, ate his Wheaties, had a big breakfast, he was ready to go. It never happens like that, ever. Never is God like, I've got a mission for you. And you're like, well, that's so great. I've been sitting around, I'm bored out of my mind. I have all the mental and emotional bandwidth in the world to jump into what you have for me, God. I'm excited. That's not how it works. God calls you in moments of your weakness, in moments of your fatigue. Why? So then you can't rest on your own strength. That's why. So Peter couldn't, he didn't have all of his wits about him. He couldn't be like, at the, you know, after the whole thing happened, he couldn't have been rationalizing after the fact and been like, well, you know, I've been to that spot a million times. I know there's fish there, you know, da, da, da. Like he was beat, rowing out there at a word from God, And there was nothing he could credit the miracle to except for Jesus himself. That's why, that's why when you find yourself like being called by God into something deeper and you're so frustrated because you're like, this is your timing. You're supposed to be the sovereign king of the universe and your timing is lousy. It's not, his timing's perfect. He's calling you in moments of your fatigue, in moments of your exhaustion so that you'll lean on him. That's why so that when breakthrough comes, when the miracle comes, you will give all glory to him. You won't be able to rest on your own you know, self-discipline and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Saying yes to God in moments of exhaustion and fatigue in your life produces intimacy between you and God because you have to press into him. It, it makes you depend on him. And Katie and I have found in our marriage that the the more personal responsibility that we've shouldered, and I'm not talking, I'm just talking between Katie and I, like our intimacy, our marriage, like we have had to learn to lean on each other as a team. I'm like, we're we're in a in a, a realm of personal responsibility that like I can't do it on my own. Like I need my wife, my teammate, my my partner, my my soulmate. Like we we need each other, and the more responsibility that we've adopted, the, the greater and stronger our marriage has become because it causes us to lean on each other for support. We're so deeply intertwined. And and it's the same with God. As you as you shoulder more kingdom responsibility, you'll find that it it entangles you with the God of heaven because you need him. You depend on him. And so your the, the beckoning from God to come out into the deep is actually he's wooing you. He's wooing you. It's it's a it's like It sounds silly, but it's like he's flirting with you. He's calling you out into a deeper relationship with him so that you'll lean on him and depend on him. Your yes will be inconvenient. It will be. It will be. If I'm honest with you guys, saying yes to pastor this campus was at a very inconvenient time. Very. Maybe the understatement of the century. We said yes, and I was unemployed. I had just left my job on a word from God to go start a business. We had two small kids. We were just, you know, getting going in our careers, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, can you take on the pastoring of, like, a really, really big church, and, oh, hey, by the way, in about three months, the whole world is gonna explode, and you're gonna find that out of nowhere there's no toilet paper, and people are, you know, gonna be up in arms about 50 million things, like it was very inconvenient. But our yes has produced so much depth, so much peace, so much reliance on the God of heaven, like the relationship, the depth we have with God, with his word, with the Holy Spirit, is like nothing we have ever experienced because as we were beckoned out into the deep and we said yes, we've learned to lean on him, depend on him. What's what will your yes produce in your life? Isaiah 40 verse 29 says he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths, high school or junior hires, I don't care how tough you are. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so don't be afraid, don't, don't be unsettled, don't feel like if, if you, know, you know God is calling you into something, but it just like, things aren't aligning in your life, it's just not really a very good time, and maybe once you know, the kids get out of high school, or maybe once I get this promotion at work, or maybe once you know, my wife and I get a little more, there, there will always be something, there will always be something, Always. And that's the resistance, that's the resistance. There will always be something. Your yes will be inconvenient, it will be. But that is by design, it's by design so that God can call you into a position where you're gonna have to lean on him and he will give power to your weakness. Can somebody say amen? And lastly, point number three, as the worship team joins me on stage, yes is a doorway into more, a yes is a doorway into more. And I, um, one of my favorite movies of all times is uh, The Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner, come on, right? (laughs) The person from El Cajon is the only one clapping? That's one of the greatest movies of all time. Okay, your homework, go watch Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones, goodness gracious. Oh my gosh, my heart, Lord, forgive my people, they do not know. My people perish for a lack of knowledge, Lord Jesus. In A Field of Dreams, and I feel like I have to give you a whole synopsis because about three of you have seen it, it seems like. Field of Dreams is about Kevin Costner uh, who plays a character named Ray Kinsella who owns a farm out in Iowa and out of nowhere, he hears a voice that says, if you build it, he will come. He has no idea what it means. Long story short, he, he plows down all of his crops, builds this baseball diamond in the middle of nowhere and as he does, like time traveling from the past, new, uh, Chicago White Sox uh, players from the past come out of the cornfield and they begin to play there. And it's this crazy thing. And he goes and picks up this washed up author named Terrence Mann, who's played by James Earl Jones. And anyway, there's, there's a lot in there. You just go watch the movie. But Kevin Costner's character, Ray Kinsella, and James Earl Jones' character, Terrence Mann, end up developing this really tight friendship. And at the end of the movie, the White Sox players the ghosts, if you will, invite Terrence Mann, James Earl Jones character out into the cornfields. And as they walk out into the cornfields, you see them just kind of slowly disappear. And it's sort of the symbol of going out into the unknown. And Kevin Costner's character, Ray Kinsella is so, he's frustrated by this. He's like, why, why does he get to go? Why does he get to go? I'm the one who built this field and he has a little bit of a pity party and and uh, and they, the. The White Sox players say, hey, we didn't, we didn't choose you. You've got a family, like you've got responsibility. We're, we're calling him. And I love um, what Terrence Mann, James Earl Jones' character says, right as he's about to step out into the cornfields. No idea what's on the other side. He says, there's something out there for me, Ray, and what a story it will make. A man being able to touch a perfect dream. And I love this picture of standing on the edge of something, a threshold and having no idea what's on the other side. Believing in faith, it's something good and just having the courage to say yes and step out into the unknown, which is what Peter did. Peter had no idea what he was saying yes to. I think it's really important that we we recognize that. It it wasn't like Peter, Jesus said, all right, here's my PowerPoint presentation. All right, here's the five-year plan. Here's the financial pro forma how it's gonna work. Uh, If you say yes to me, uh, you will be one of my 12 disciples. Um, You're going to walk on water. It's gonna be crazy. You're gonna love it. You're gonna watch me turn water into the greatest wine you've ever tasted. You're gonna love it. You're actually gonna be the very first Pope. I'm gonna give you the keys of the kingdom on you. I'm gonna build a church. And then Peter was like, wow, that sounds great. I'm in. That wasn't how it worked. Jesus just said, follow me. Full stop, Period no qualifiers, no bullet points, no asterisk, no footnotes, follow me. Peter had no idea what was on the other side of the yes. He knew what he was saying no to. He knew that following Jesus meant forsaking his business, leaving his family for a season. He knew the no's, but had no idea what lay on the other end of his yes. And when he took the small step, and there was really two two questions from Jesus. Number one is, will you come out into the deep and let down your net for a catch? And then after they get back, the question was, will you forsake all and follow me? And Peter says yes to the first question, having no idea. He didn't know. Jesus didn't say, let down your net for a catch and follow me. He said, let down your net for a catch and just see what happens. And again, I don't know. There's no way to interpret this from the scriptures, but Maybe if, if Peter wouldn't have let down the net for the catch, Jesus would have said, okay, you're actually not my guy. I'm gonna go find somebody else and ask them to follow me, I don't know. But I know that the question to follow him came after Peter took the step of faith to let down his net. Jesus was was waiting for Peter's first yes before he really beckoned him in to the mission. What are the small questions God's asking you? What are the, the yeses he's asking you for? Maybe it's as simple as joining a connect group. Maybe you've been coming to this church for months and months, and you know, you've got your tribe and your crew, but you haven't actually pushed out into the deep of biblical community and joined a connect group, become vulnerable with people, let people actually know that your family is not perfect. We already know, no offense. Just want you to know. We're already aware, okay, that you're not perfect. We know. You know, you're not fooling anybody. We know. And so maybe God's beckoning you to actually be vulnerable, to, to, to dive into friendships and being vulnerable by definition means putting yourself in a position where you can be hurt. That's what it means. A turtle has its shell and this is the non-vulnerable position of the turtle. When the turtle rolls over, He's vulnerable because he can be hurt. That's what it means to be vulnerable. But maybe it's, God is calling you out into the deep of your marriage for you to be vulnerable with your spouse, to to begin to dream with your, I don't know what it is. What is the yes that God is beckoning you with today? I'll tell you that this church, all churches, but this church too, will only grow at the rate at which leaders arise. It's an undisputable, undeniable fact. I don't know where Pastor Juergen got this number, but he said for years and years that a healthy church must have one leader for every seven people that attend the church. And it's crazy because when we look at this campus and we know how many leaders we have, and if you multiply that number by seven, that's what our gross attendance is at this church. Our church will only grow. We will only take this region. We will only see revival sweep this region at the rate at which we raise up leaders. And in order to step into, and again, I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily getting up here and preaching, or you know maybe like, but a leader is just, you know what the definition of a leader is? It's really very simple. It's not profound. It's being first. If you're running in a race and you're leading, it just means you're running faster than everybody else. That's all it means, it means you're ahead. Leaders go first, that's all it is. Leaders go first and show people where to go. Years ago, um, many of you know, like I love uh, sailing and love racing sailboats. It's like my favorite thing in the world. And um, I've told this story before, but we, I, I sail on a boat with a, a guy. You know, it's not the best thing in the world is not having a boat. The best thing in the world is having a friend that has a boat, that's what you want. You want a friend that has a boat. So I have a friend that has a boat and it's like a big, it's like a 42 foot like sailing yacht, but it's like not made for racing. It's like a, like a big, it'd be like, I don't know, racing a, yeah, an RV kind of thing, okay? So it's not super fast. And it's like in golf, everybody has a handicap. The same thing in sailing, they actually handicap all the boats. So if you've got a big, slow boat, they actually add, uh, or they take away time from your 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 race time. That's a way of kind of leveling the playing field. And so, when we race, we could finish, you know, third or fourth or fifth, but actually win the race because our boat's slower. And so they they subtract time from our, our score. But because our boat is actually slow, we're never leading, ever. Like we, and then sailboat races go like this: you you start at a start line, and they'll say, you know, you're going to go to buoy you know, 35A, then over here to this mark and then over to 37B and then back to the finish line or whatever. And so, and the course always changes. You have to have a map, you have to know where you're going, where's 38 and all that kind of stuff. So one time it was like, I don't know how, the favor of God himself had breathed upon our boat and we're never ever in the lead. And so we are going and we turn the the mark to go down the next leg of the race. And every time we've done this hundreds of times, we're losing. And so we never have to worry about where we're going because we're just following the next people. And literally we like turn the mark and we're changing the sails, and then we look up and we're in front. And so I say to the the skipper, Bram is his name. I'm like, Bram, where are we going? And he goes, I don't know. We've never been first before. That's what it means to lead. It means you don't like, you don't have anybody to to all right, I'm just going to follow you. That's what it means to be a leader. It just means to go first. That's it. It's not, don't you have to overcomplicate it. It doesn't mean like whatever, like to be a leader just means that you're going to make a decision that I'm going to go first. And our church will only grow at the rate at which people make a decision to lead other people. And you can only make a decision to lead other people at whatever level that is to say yes, as God is calling you out into the deep. And so my question for all of us, when we stand to our feet, and I want to, wanna pray is, what is God asking you to say yes to? And i love it if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, and I wanna ask that question again, seriously, and you take a minute to really consider it. What is it that God is asking you to say yes to? Is it talking to your wife about, walls of bitterness that have built up over over years? I don't know what it is. Is it reaching out to your mom or dad that live in another state that you haven't talked to in years? Is it reconciling with a, a cousin or a brother or an uncle or whatever? Is it going to DNA and saying, you know what? I've been coming to this church for years. I'm not serving on a team, but I know God is calling me to actually build this church, to serve on a team, to take personal responsibility for this church, to treat it like a house and not like a hotel. When you go to a hotel, you just put the AC on 62 degrees, you throw your towel wherever, wherever who cares? You don't do that at your house, because you own your house. You don't treat it like a hotel. Maybe it's time for you to look at awakened Church, not as a hotel that is here for your benefit, but that you are here for its benefit that you are here to come to this church to build others, not for it to feed you, but for you to feed yourself so that you can then in turn feed others here. Maybe it's a yes to to finally get serious about breaking an addiction. Maybe it's a yes to actually dive into Awaken Recovery. Come on, with Jim and Kelly O'Connor, go find Jim and Kelly and say, hey, like I I wanna dive into this recovery thing. I don't know what your yes is, but I wanna pray for you and just believe God that you're gonna have the courage to say yes, to launch out into the deep. And, And with every head bowed and every eye closed, the most important yes is just saying yes to Jesus for the first time, 100th time, 1,000th time, I don't know what it is for you, but if you're in here today, I wanna pray for everybody, but before I do, I wanna pray for anybody in here that needs to just take that first yes, the yes to follow God. The Bible says in Romans ten nine that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And if you're in here today and you're not walking with God, you don't have a relationship with him, and maybe you've gone to church your whole life. I hate to tell you that going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't reconcile you with the God that made you. It's faith and belief in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that is what pulls you into a relationship with him. And so if that's you, I wanna take a second and pray with you. So I'm gonna count to three. And and if that's you and you know that, that God is knocking on the door of your heart to start a relationship with him, I want you to shoot your hand up here in a second. I'm gonna pray for you. So if that's you, and maybe you've never done this before. Maybe you, again, grew up in church. and. Uh, you know, used to walk with God, but you've fallen away, slipped away, whatever, but you know that God's calling you back to him this morning, or maybe you just feel far from God today. If you're any one of those three groups of people, here in a second, I want you to shoot your hand up so I know who I'm praying with. One, two, three. Who needs to make that decision today? Awesome, I see that hand over there. Who else needs to make that decision? Anybody else? need to get right with the God that made you. Find peace for maybe the very, very first time. Anybody else? Yep, I got that, amazing. Who else? needs to make that decision today. Amazing, amazing. Well, hey, let's all pray this prayer out loud as as proud as we can. Let's all say, dear heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me. Today, I repent of my sins, and I know that I am forgiven. Today, I declare that heaven is my home, God is my Father, I am a child of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Amazing, amazing. And then why don't we all just lift our hands high to heaven. I wanna pray for you and for whatever it is that your yes is. God, I thank you that you're knocking on the door of hearts right now. God, Holy Spirit, we invite you in to the hearts and minds of every single person that calls the East Lake campus of Awakened Church home. And God, whatever it is, whatever that yes is, whatever the question is you're asking us, I pray that we would have the courage to say yes. And God, I pray for real, tangible action, not just yes in our mind yes in our hearts but then nothing changes i'm talking about real steps joining a a connect group saying yes to dna joining the kids church team to begin volunteering and pouring into the next generation sitting down at the dinner table with our kids having conversations sitting down at a date night with our wife and having conversations whatever it is action steps real tangible change god we know that your holy spirit will empower us that when we don't have the strength your word says that you will give us the strength that actually in our weakness is when your strength is perfected so god i pray that we would lean into you and i pray that as we are called out into the deep that it will usher us in to the greatest days of our life that we will see blessing and favor and miracles like we never have before your word says that signs and wonders will follow those who believe and we declare that we're going to be a church that believes it with all of our heart in jesus mighty name amen
0: wow what an amazing word i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did hey listen